Good morning, Emmanuel. How many love Jesus today? Man, it's so great to be together, whether you're joining online or you're in Lakeville, Maple Grove, Elk River, or Spring Lake Park. This is a great time for us to get back together again. Last week, one week ago, we had an incredible weekend with Super Sunday. How many of you were here last Sunday? So if you miss it, we had, we had an incredible, we had 4,500 people on all of our locations. We had several hundred people respond to the salvation response time. And it was just plain fun to be together. And if you came last week and you said, I want to check it out next week, and you came back, welcome home. Welcome home. Everybody said, welcome home. So glad that you came back to church. Glad that you could be here with us. We're beginning a brand new series today, and uh, we tend to speak in series, which means we link ideas or scriptures together week to week so that we keep growing together. I encourage you that you don't just think about one moment, this service, but you think about God building you. Every one of us eats food every day, right? And uh, that food becomes a part of our nourishment for a lifetime. Well, we need to learn to have regular connection with the Word of God. One of those ways of doing that is on Sunday morning, but then you can also do it every single day. And so we're diving into this brand new series called Dear Friend, Wisdom from the Letters of John, the Epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. The title of today's message is this, Remember to Turn the Light On. Turn to the person next to you and say, Remember to Turn the Light On. Now, I, uh, Jody and I will have been uh, the lead pastors of this church 10 years in a couple weeks. It'll be, and so when, when you hit these milestone moments of your journey, you start reflecting backward and remember mostly good things and then some of the challenges that you persevered through. And for, for Jody and I, we've got a lot of memories. For me, my time at Emmanuel was way before, began way before this lead plaster role that I'm in. 1991, I moved to Minnesota as a college student and uh, started attending. My very first church was Emmanuel. And I came to the church as a college student, volunteered, got involved, served in just about every ministry in the church. I loved being out in the parking lots, greeting people. I loved being in the lobbies and Team Emmanuel. And I, I, I actually worked in the kids' ministry. I served at one point as an intern at the church where I actually was the receptionist for a while. I knew how to do the phones and that kind of thing. And, and then I, I just served in every role. Then I was a volunteer youth leader, and then they asked me to come on staff as a youth pastor. And then Jody and I were also married. We had our four kids here. We had so many experiences within Emmanuel. And in Emmanuel, not just for Jody and I, but for the whole church family, we had experiences. And so I'm, I recognize that just because it's 10 years for me, not all of you were here 10 years ago. So you don't know all of the stories of the last 10 years, let alone the last 60 years, which this church turned 60 in May. And when you think about all of the eras of church stories, God has done so many amazing things. I remember when in the 1990s, in a previous millennia, I remember being a youth pastor and experiencing revival and renewal within our church. People lingering for hours, just praying and repenting and asking God to move in their families and in our city. 
I remember those times when people came up from a revival in Argentina, and then they preached what God was doing around the world, and, and it spread like a wildfire in a good way through our church, and, and God was speaking to us. And even as a youth pastor, I can recall times where we had a literal move of God amongst the next generation where we saw hundreds of kids give their lives to Christ and get on fire for him. They were crazy for Jesus. And, and we even had a TV show back in the day called JC's Place. And, and people around the Twin Cities had heard about it and saw it. And, and it had an impact on the schools and the communities around us. And, and I even remember one time, uh, uh, multiple times actually, where kids got so far on fire for God that they came up and they dumped all their drugs at the altar. And they said, we're giving it all up and we're going after Jesus. Many of those, those teenagers are now adults and they've got teenagers. And now they've got teenagers being raised up and, and I'm, I'm mindful of just the experiences. But not everyone was there for each of those previous experiences. They were special to me, special to many of the people that are part of that era. But if you weren't there, it doesn't feel as special. And the truth is, is that even in our stories, we link our memories to certain events and experiences and songs. Many of you perhaps grew up in the church world or you have a faith story where a hymnal or a song, a hymn, means something more to you than it does to someone else. Oftentimes I'll get people that will request, Pastor Nate, like it's some kind of like, uh, Spotify list on Sunday morning for worship or something. Like, can we do this song? It meant a lot to me back in the day. And they want us to do those songs because it's linked to a, an emotional, spiritual moment that they had with Jesus. And I want you to know that as we begin this series and we're looking at the, the letters of John, we're talking about an author who walked with Jesus. He had spent time with Jesus. He was one of the, the 12 disciples. He was also the one that was Jesus loved, it's referred to as in John. He's one of those special guys, and he walked and talked with Jesus, saw the miracles, saw the power of Jesus, saw him die, saw him rose from the dead, and saw him ascend into heaven. This guy that is writing to us was an apostle of the church. He had then seen what the church exploded on the day of Pentecost, and, and then it grew and grew and grew, and then it spread throughout the known world at that time, much of it through persecution and pain and difficulty. In fact, all the other disciples that said in church uh, tradition says that all the other disciples actually were martyred for their faith except for John. John lived through all of those seasons. At the very end, he was in an island prison on Patmos, and he wrote Revelation to the church. And you can read that. That won't be one book that we're covering during this series. But he, he stood the test of time, and he never lost his love. He never lost it. So now he sits down, and he writes these epistles, almost like messages. It's not really a letter in some ways that, that some of the other letters that Paul wrote. But this is more like, hey, y'all, listen up. This love is so real to me, I want you to get it. And he would write to the church because as decades go by and they weren't there, they weren't in those experiences, the faith that those people inherited, they might be missing something. And John doesn't want them to miss anything. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't miss anything. He doesn't want them to miss anything. He wants them to catch it, just like I want our new generations of teenagers to catch the power of God. 
We've got an avalanche camp this weekend where all the teenagers from all our locations are going to gather together. They're going to hear speakers. There's going to be worship. There's going to be response and altar time. But I want the power of God to be seen and known amongst our kids in this generation. Can I get an amen to that? I want to see it happen. I want, our, I want our whole church to experience a present day connection to the, the presence and the power of God, just like John wanted his followers in the church to experience. We've seen so many great things. I, I, I love the fact that today, even in Spring Lake Park, we had 88 baptisms. I mean, it was crazy. First and second service combined. Um, it's extended our worship time today, which means I should be speaking shorter, but we'll see if that happens. <laughs> so today, as we go into 1 John chapter 1, I want you to pull your Bibles out, whether they're the physical Bibles. Hold them in the air like you just don't care. All right, keep it in the air. How many have electronic Bibles? Let me see those two. All right. I want you to bring your Bibles to church during this series, if you can, either physical or electronic. We have the text that we'll be speaking on that will be in the Emmanuel MN app that you can get from your app store. But I want to encourage you, read it and read it as if John is speaking to you. He speaks in ways that are symbolic. So you're going to see contrast between light and dark, life and death, truth and lies. But he speaks it in a personal way. He wants the new generation to experience what he has experienced throughout his lifetime. Because when you experience the love of Jesus, what Jesus and the Father have, you will never be the same. That's why John writes the way he does. He is forever wrecked. That's a good word. And his desire is for the church to experience what he had experienced. He wants you to get it, just like he did the believers of that day. All right, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Look at it with me. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the father. And then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. I want you to notice a few things in this section. He says, whom we have seen and heard. John had seen and heard Jesus himself. He had heard the voice of Jesus. His eyes had seen Jesus. And he says, we have heard and seen. It's interesting to me, you know, the Lord gave me a word for our church this year that I preached at the beginning of the year, January, that we are to look and listen for what God is doing. That we are to see it and we're to hear it. John is saying here, not only did he see it and hear it, but he says, then he was revealed to us. In other words, it just wasn't good news. It was an eye opener. He was revealed to the disciples. And now John is in turn saying, now Jesus can be revealed 
to you. Jesus can be revealed. Your eyes can be opened up. I know this. When I gather together on a Sunday, there are some people, you are a Jesus freak. You get so excited about everything going on in the preaching, and you're excited about the Word, and you're excited about what's going on. But I also know there are other people that are like, when is this service going to get over? I mean, let's be honest. You might be married to a Jesus freak, and you're not like that. They're excited. You're not. They're elbowing you, and you're like, stop elbowing me. I heard him, right? And so we all have different levels of vantage points that we have of this thing called Christianity and really our relationship with Jesus. But John is saying, listen, I want everyone's eyes to be open. I want you to get it, to understand that this isn't just going through the motions, but that he is life itself to you, that it would be revealed to you. Verse three and four, he talks about the purpose of the entire writing. He says, two so that's, if you will. I'm writing this so that, first part was, you may have fellowship. You might have fellowship. That word in the Greek fellowship is the word koinonia, which means community or sharing or harmony or unity or right relationship. He said, I want you to have right relationships. I want you to experience that. So what I'm writing you should produce that. What I'm telling you will help you get there. He wants there to be right relationships between the generations. How many know we got some generation gaps? We need to have the, 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 the wisdom of the old passing to the passion of the young and the passion of the young kind of lighting a fire over the old. But sometimes we don't get either. And when you don't get the passion of the young and all you got is life experiences, you can become a grumpy person. I don't want any grumpy people in our church. So I want you connected to the passion of the young, if you're in that category. But I also know this, the young need the wisdom of the old because as they encounter difficulties of life and disappointments, they need to know, keep going. Don't quit. You can persevere. I went through that too. Stay married. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on Jesus. Yes, you fell down, but you can get back up again. We need each other. Can I get an amen to that? We need each other. Stay in the race. But I think families need that. We need uh, koinonia. We need relationship. We need that sense of unity and connection to each other. Churches need that. Families need that. I, you might run a business and your business needs that. We need that fellowship. And he writes so that we may have that. The second so that was that you may fully share our joy. That you may fully share our joy. In other words, not just a little bit of it, but fully. I want you to have, the Apostle John is saying this, who was there on the Pentecost day when it broke out. I want you to have everything I've got. I want you to have access to that fullness of joy. Joy is strength. It's like blowing up a flat tire. It fills you up and it strengthens you in the middle of difficult circumstances. I believe 
that we can have the type of joy that is not dependent on circumstances around us. It's joy in the circumstance. It's the capacity to persevere. It's what the New Testament church had when they were facing persecution. Literally, family members were being pulled out of houses and stoned and killed and murdered. And still the church would gather together and they'd pray. And they didn't pray, Lord, take away persecution. You know what they prayed? They prayed, Lord, make us bold in the middle of persecution. Make me strong in the middle of the circumstances I'm in. We don't need a weak level of joy in 2023. There's enough stuff that can shut you down. You need the joy, the full joy of the Holy Spirit to give you strength to persevere and never, ever quit. Come on, somebody. And that's what says, this is what he's given us for. All right, let's move on. And then what is he going to say? Verse five, this is the message we heard from Jesus. And now declare to who? To you. God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let me break this down. Verse 5 it says, message we had heard from Jesus. In other words, this message is passed down from generation to the next. And there is a difference between tradition being passed off and the message of Jesus. Tradition's not bad. But I'll tell you this in church world stuff, honestly. In church stuff, some of the things we do are traditions. That we just go through the motions. And it can be good or bad. Good traditions reinforce unity. And relationship. You got traditions in your family for what you do at Christmas and what you do for birthday parties and what you do for celebrations. Those are good things. They keep the family together. How many of you want to keep your family together, right? That's not bad. But when it becomes dangerous is when our traditions replace Jesus. Well, we no longer need Jesus there. The tradition does what Jesus should be doing. And when it comes to church, we shouldn't just be going through the motions. We should be meeting with Jesus, experiencing the present tense, real power of God. Can I get an amen to that? He says, God is light. This is a symbol that is clear. I'm saying God is light. And the kind of light that God is has no darkness at all. No darkness. Let me just say this. We got a world that likes to have shades of gray. We live in a world that has shades of gray. God does not have shades of gray. It's not, it's not dusk and it's not dawn. It's full sunlight in the middle of the day. And he's saying, listen, God is light. And then verse 8 says, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. So if John is being very blunt and straightforward here, he's saying, hey, new generation, you can't have been with God and still hang out with darkness. The two don't match up. 
And this is an era, era that we live in and which is specialized in shades of gray, of darkness, even in the church. So nowadays, people are beginning to say, well, is that really bad or isn't it? That's so patriarchal. And are ready to dismantle anything and everything that's historic. There are things that we can fix. There are things that we can change. But there's one thing that doesn't change, and it's the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words, they don't change. So here's, he's talking about light. He's very clear. In a world that is unclear, God is clear. And so he's saying, if you begin to say, I'm in God, I hold that badge. I'm a Christian. I attend Emmanuel. I'm in a life group or a connect group or I'm in a whatever group you would say. You've got the label, but you're living in darkness or shades of darkness. John is saying, huh? That don't make sense. That's why we do water baptism. When we step into the waters of baptism, we're saying we're identifying. Yes, I've given my life to Jesus. He has saved me from my sin. But my act of obedience is to go into the waters. And when I go down, it's as if I'm dying to the old self and I'm coming new under the power of Jesus' resurrection. In other words, it's very clear there's an old and there's a new. Paul said it this way. Behold, all things are new. The old is gone and the new has come. And so there's, a, there's no distinction there. John is saying, listen, live in the light, even if the world around you is gray. And I will tell you this, if I look at the 60 years of this church's history and the things that this present era we're all okay with, that they wouldn't be okay with 30 years ago, and some of it, they were traditional but I would say some of those things we need to look inward in our heart. Have we let darkness in? Have we allowed those things in? And you know where you can see it best? What happens with your kids? What are they inheriting from you? Is it light or is it darkness? Verse six, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Verse seven, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here's the thing. When I started talking about darkness and, and there, there can be a little bit of a, a uh, conviction that comes in when we examine our hearts and we recognize there might be some darkness in our life. That's not meant to be retributive and painful and punished. No, really what John is saying here is, if that happens, you got some hope in the house and his name is Jesus. So when there's darkness that goes in, he's saying you have hope. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin and God is in the light. So you can let the light in. Turn to somebody and say, let the light in. Come on, let the light in. And the light brings with it fellowship with God and each other. When you let the light in, it straightens relationships out. And this is brought to you, sponsored by, just like U.S. Bank sponsors a big stadium, Jesus sponsors fellowship with God. 
It's brought to you by the blood of Jesus. This dance, this show, this incredible life is sponsored by the one and only Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. You got hope because of him, not because of you. But the promises of fellowship only happen when we keep our lives in the light. Verse 8, he says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Got the t-shirt, but you don't got the joy. Got the label, but you don't have the peace. We're fooling ourselves if we claim or act like we have no sin. So John shows us how to turn the light on. How many want to know how to turn the light on? Look at verse 9. This is one you're going to want to memorize. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. To confess is a Greek word that comes from homo, which means the same, and logeo, which means to speak. To confess is to speak the same thing to God is what he already sees. Confession turns the light on. It allows the light in. It dispels the darkness. Sin is an obstacle to peace, but confession removes the obstacle. It gets it out of the way. You and I can learn to do this, not just with our moment of salvation, but every day. This was a New Testament practice that was as common as eating your daily vegetables. That if you can learn to confess and talk to God and let the light in, then those things that are inside of you that you don't like, the darkness, the sin, the struggle, the pain, the frustration, the depression, whatever it is, when you begin to open it up to God, now he lets the light in and it dispels the darkness. You don't get rid of darkness by keeping the door closed or the windows shut or keeping the light switch off. You you get it out of your life when you turn the light on and on the inside. This is what the psalmist learned to do when they would sing to God. Lord, the water's up to my neck and I'm sinking. Where are you? You read the psalmist. They would literally sing real time what they were going through. Not just on Sunday morning. Not just singing somebody else's words that you see on the screen. But the songs of your own heart. The thoughts of your own mind. When you begin to confess, something powerful happens. The light shines inside of you. This is what John is saying. He's saying, hey, listen, there should be no separation between you and God. And the way to be connected to God is through confession. You sing it out. You sing all the things that you're going through. You have a good day. Lord, you're my rock and my salvation. Who should I fear? You're having a bad day. The water's up to my neck and I'm sinking. Where are you? And so you learn to talk it out to God. The moment you begin to talk it out, you'll do in your own life what you see the psalmist go through. You'll see a song that begins with great depression or worry or frustration, but it ends with hope and peace and confidence in God. When you learn to sing it out, you're like, Lord, I need you today. I don't know where you're at. I'm in a struggle with my relationships or I, I, we don't have enough money. And you begin to talk to the Lord. There's something that happens. He begins to bring his light in. Otherwise, the darkness reigns in your heart. 
You begin to say, Lord, there's, the bills are bigger than our bank account is. Where are you? And he'll answer you. Now, he might talk back to you and say, where's your tithe been? <laughs> this, is a, this is a dialogue here, friends. It's not just, it's not just one-way communication. You hear what I'm saying? But then he comes in and he cleanses your heart. He might say to you, you're like, Lord, I, I, I'm frustrated with, with life and I'm depressed. And he might come back and go, what have you been listening to? What have you been watching? What's been going in your head? And then you have to say, Lord, I confess this isn't right. And I'm willing to repent and turn around. And he comes in and he cleanses it out of your heart and your mind. Everybody said, turn the light on. Confession turns the light on. The younger generations have grown up in darkness. Truth and light have been twisted and are confusing. There are more than preachers on a platform speaking into our next generation's minds and hearts. TikTok is their teacher. And truth has been twisted. People don't know right from wrong, and they don't even know if they can trust me. That's why this generation needs the light turned on. They've heard and seen corrupt leaders. Evil sold as good, and they are filled with anxiety. There was a report by the CDC this week of a study done on adolescent girls, and over 80% of adolescent girls today deal with anxiety. Anxiety is an unsafe place. It's a worry about the future and insecurity of the heart, and God has not made his daughters to live with anxiety. But nonetheless, anxiety is here, and it's pervasive as the darkness is in the middle of the night. And they need light. They need genuine light. They need the truth. They need the way, the truth, and the light. They need Jesus, the only one that they can trust in. This week, about a week and a half ago, the chapel services at Asbury University in Kentucky, the students were invited to linger after the service was done to pray and worship, and it hasn't stopped since. Some people don't know what to call it. Is it a renewal? Is it a revival? I don't really care what you call it. But now it's going and it's spread to all the biggest buildings on their campus. And thousands of people are coming from all over the world. And in the young adult generation, Gen Z, young adults are just talking to Jesus. There's no celebrities on the stage. Jesus is the superstar. And they're doing something very simple. They're confessing. They're opening their heart up before God. Some of them are repenting. Some of them are confessing the word and the truth of the word, which is pure and holy and righteous, claiming the promises of God. They're going through whatever they're going through. And confession has turned the light on in this generation, and it's beginning to spread. And I say, God, bring more. 
And I'm also saying, as I look at social media and I look at generations of leaders at my age, and I'm saying, I, I want to say to them this, I'm not even going to get into it on social media. I want to say to them, don't mess it up. Don't try to own it. Don't critique it. Don't try to stop it. It's as, uh, as Gamaliel said to this uh, Sanhedrin, this, the synagogue leaders in Jerusalem when they were worried about the New Testament church breaking out. Gamaliel stood up with wisdom in Acts chapter 5 and he said, so my advice is leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. And I'm saying, Lord, just give me Jesus. Out of all the things that I remember that our, our founding pastor would say when we went through various revivals, I remember this as you would just say, I just want the genuine article. I don't want a copycat from some other place. I don't want it to come from some, uh, uh, mimicking someone else. I want the genuine article, move of God for the people of Emmanuel. I just want Jesus. And church, I'm saying this in 2023. I don't care how it happens. I want Jesus for our children, Jesus for our teenagers, Jesus for our young adults, Jesus for our families, Jesus for mom and dads, Jesus for every person in our church. We just need Jesus. That's what we need. But the benefit of Jesus coming follows confession and letting the light in. John then shows why we should want to turn the light on in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my dear children, I'm writing this so that, everybody says so that, you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. If anyone does sin, <laughs> we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. If you find in your head worry, that somebody's accusing you of something. If you find in your head and your heart anxiety that somehow God is not for you, if you think that somehow you did so many things when you were younger that you've canceled your entire future, you are wrong. John says this, listen, there is somebody fighting for you before the throne is advocated and his name is Jesus and his blood on the cross shed for you speaks a better word over your life than any words you could speak. His word is stronger. His blood is stronger than any of the worst and vilest of sins. If you repent and open up the window to the light to allow it to come into your life, turn that light on, baby. You will discover the freedom that you can't get from any other place. This generation needs to know the peace that passes understanding. It guards the hearts and minds. There is no place for anxiety when Jesus steps in. Come on, somebody. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself, the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. I know that Jesus is coming back someday. 
there's going to be a moment when it's too late. There's going to be a time when the eastern sky splits and Jesus takes us home. But before that happens, it is the heartbeat of heaven that everyone would know the true light. Masses of people who have been deceived, children who have grown up in homes of dysfunction and they've never known the purity of a loving parent or the truth of Jesus. And those people are on God's heart to this day. Peter says that he holds back his return because he cares about people. And he cares about those that are in this room and he cares about the people that are in your life. Some of them don't even care about God. They look at the church and the evangelicals and whatever that term means. And they've got all their critiques about different things, but they're living in darkness. And when you live in darkness, you don't see the truth. What they need is they need the truth of Jesus revealed to them. And once you experience the love and the freedom and the forgiveness of Jesus, you will never be the same again. You can track it out decades and you're still going to dream it for your grandkids that they would experience Jesus like you've experienced Jesus. I want Jesus to be in my life until the day I die, but I have a bigger dream. And my bigger dream is that the next generation would experience more than I've ever experienced. That God would pour out his spirit in such a way that young men and young women would find Jesus and stand up and carry the call of God in their life. This week in the theaters everywhere, there's going to be this movie uh, that's out there and it's, it's going to be about the Jesus revolution. And uh, it's based on a, a time period in the 1970s where there was this Jesus people revival where young adults got on fire for God outside the church. And many churches resisted the young adults because it didn't come in the form of the tradition of their history. But this movie is going to show how those that did open the door and allow God to change their hearts, they become a part of a miracle of a generation coming to know Jesus. I encourage you to go see that movie and bring your friends with you this week. But here's my point. I don't think that all of those revivals need to be 1970, 1980, 1990, 2000. I want a 2023 version of God's movement in the earth, in our church. I want to see it happen. And it's not going to be with a celebrity-driven, money-making kind of movement. It's going to be humble people who get on their face before God, open the doors and say, God, shine your light inside my heart. Drive all wickedness out. Help this darkness that I have in me be dispelled so that my kids don't get it and my grandkids don't get it. I want you to move in this generation. Would you stand with me, church? Hallelujah. Told you I couldn't go short. <laughs> Hallelujah. Real quick, close your eyes. If you're here today and you're away from Jesus, you need to give your life to Christ. Or you once walked with him and you've wandered away and you need to come home. I want to pray with you. You need to confess your sins before Jesus. Confess Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved, but you got to do it. You got to have the moment where you turn the light on. If that's you, I want to pray with you. Just put your hand up. Say, that's me, Pastor Nate. 
Yes, 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 yes. I want to lead you in a prayer. I'll give you words to pray, but mean it from your heart. Just repeat this prayer after me and everybody else you join in. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth. You died on the cross for my sin. And you rose from the dead. And I know that you're alive. Today, I surrender to you. I ask you to let your light shine in my life today. I'm yours in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.